along the same lines. I'm Matya. And I'm Ellie. And we're probably the same person. I have a question. I was wondering this week, what is the ugliest color combination you can think of? Color combination? Ugh. I, like, in clothing or, like, on a wall? Because I think it's different. You do? Okay, do both then. I, I feel like an ugly color combination is an ugly color combination. It doesn't matter where it is. Well, it's always, like, gonna be an ugly color combination, but it looks less ugly than some other color combinations, depending on who's wearing it. That does, makes no sense. It does, because it'll look bad, like, with you or not bad with you. Anyway, uh, the worst color combination on a wall, because that's probably gonna be easiest. I don't know, probably some sort of, like gross brown and bad yellow but like like a mustard yellow i don't know okay (laughs) brown and yellow bold (laughs) in terms of like clashing colors probably like orange and green they never really look nice together like i've seen people pull it off but it's weird because those are the colors that people are like you should put them together because they're what is it complimentary no no, that's yes. orange and blue. Orange and blue can look nice orange together. And orange and green can't, really. Well, I mean, like, no offense <laughs> to people who wear orange and green. Orange is kind of an aggressive color. Yeah. Like, what do you put orange with? Black. And then you can be Halloween? <laughs> um, orange can go with blue. But, like, orange is just so, like, hot. I like even with blue, orange is kind of ugly sometimes mm-hmm. i i will say i think worse than orange and green might be orange and purple really i feel like at that point you're eccentric enough like it's a style <laughs> no I, to be fair if you're eccentric enough no one really cares True. like if you're gonna be crazy just be yeah. crazy why are you being crazy and then also being like but people will judge me <laughs> um actually I got this, like, orange and purple bracelet in, like, a gift bag or something, and the color scheme wasn't the worst part of the bracelet. It was also not a good bracelet, but (laughs) the color scheme was not too bad. (laughs) It was just you insulting the bracelet. It's like, yeah, you know what? Out of your outfit, the purple and orange looks the best. (laughs) Because it's, like, three inches thick, like, down your wrist, but only, like, a half half of an inch, like, thick. Oh, I don't know how to describe it at all. It's, like, really thin around, but really tall. Okay. You know Snow White's, like, sleeves? How they have the little oval <sighs> indents in them? And they're a different color? Yeah. That's where the purple and orange was alternating. This is a really hard description <laughs> to visualize, Ellie. <laughs> to be fair, I was kind of taken aback when I saw the bracelet, so I feel like I'm describing it <laughs> in its essence pretty accurately. Okay, I guess we'll have to just take your word <laughs> for that. I'm not imagining something that looks like a bracelet right now. <laughs> My mom likes to wear that like kind of chunky style of bracelet. Have you seen her wear like basically any bracelet that she actually likes? Probably not. not. I would like you to identify the individual in the picture I'm about to show you. It is a very old photo for context. So, I mean, try and get it. And, yeah. Well, there we go. So, who's that? Is that the Hulk? It is. But I'd like you to tell me his secret identity really quick. Do you know? Nope. Okay, I... 
<laughs> Dude, my first thing was Bruce Wayne. He's Bruce Banner. But he's not. He is in everything other than this really old TV show. Okay. Where, he, one, he looks like that, which is just a dude painted green, which I mean... He looks... If you're confused, he looks a little bit like a scroll. Yeah. If that makes any yeah, sense to people. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but in this one TV show, this one, his name is David. David Banner. Why did they do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like David Banner is a widowed scientist caught in the middle of an experiment gone bad. Whenever he's extremely <laughs> upset, upset or stressed out. So he's not even angry in this one. He just, like, goes through a breakup and he's... <laughs> and uh, uh yeah it's kind of it just we found that out in trivia because jed asked a question about the hulk and we're like oh it's bruce banner he's like no like no <laughs> and anyway that's super random but it really threw me this week <laughs> one artist and writer pair somewhere what? we're like you know what we're gonna change this character up. Well, it was in 1977. When was the first Incredible Hulk made? Because maybe his name was originally David Banner, and we were like, excuse me. I think it might have been the first one. Guys, everything is a lie. Bruce Banner is actually David Wait, Banner. I mean, to be fair, an artist and a writer did say we're gonna do something different, but then the something different just became the standard. I mean, I'm not mad at them for changing it because of the whole alliteration thing. You think Stan Lee would have already made it alliteration like that's his favorite that was his favorite thing to do r.i.p i'm so sorry anyway speaking of old <laughs> i want to talk about the penny farthings the penny farthings should i know what that is do you know what it is i mean you probably have seen one is it a money a money as if that's a correct sentence it's fine i don't speak english anymore either uh, no, a penny farthing is one of the old-timey bikes mm. where the front wheel is, like, <laughs> stupid big, and the back wheel yes, is, like, yes, really, okay. really tiny, and they're pretty ridiculous, because why, why would you make a bike like that? Like, clearly, it's a bad design, and how in the world did we think of, ah, yes, massive wheel and tiny wheel before, a, like, the same size mm -hmm. wheels? So, I was like, that's weird, because it feels like more unsafe, which it is. The versions of bikes we have today are the mm -hmm. safe bikes, also known as the normal bike. But they did it because they didn't have bike chains. So the only way to go faster was to make the wheel bigger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they would like parade around going, oh, I can go so much faster than you. And the people on their like little two wheel, like normal sized <laughs> bikes felt all sad. Well, I don't know. Like, cause the way the penny farthing works is you're only pedaling the front wheel. So you have to like push it like it's a scooter to get started and then you step <laughs> up to the seat and then you pedal and move only the front wheel because they didn't have bike chains, right? So I don't know if it was necessarily like a speed thing or more of a just a we can't figure out how to make this work other than to just pedal the front <laughs> wheel. But like... <laughs> It's oh, weird. I've seen those bikes, though. They're, like, ridiculously tall, too. Because the front wheel is, like... Yeah. I watched a video recently of someone trying to learn to ride one. Apparently not that difficult. But the front wheel was almost five <laughs> feet tall. My mom actually found this not, like, a penny farthing or whatever that was, but, like, an old-fashioned bike with, like, the big swoopy handlebars and... Banana seat bike. Yeah, and they're so cute. It's so cute. It's got a little bell. It's the only bike I like to ride in my house. <laughs> my science teacher has a great story of he wanted to get mm -hmm. a BMX bike, 
and his parents just replaced the handlebars <laughs> on a banana seat bike for him. And he was like, this is not the same. Nice. Oh, man. For my what's your take today, I was wondering, what is your take on a hero? Oh, this kind of connects with my David Banner thing. Huh. My take on a hero. I mean, I think heroes are important. I think the issue with heroes and a lot of literary stories in general is in order to have a compelling story, it's easy to remove faults of people. Mm -hmm. And heroes are not necessarily people without faults, but rather people that strive to do the right thing in the face of great hardship. True. What constitutes a hero? Because you'll see in the news, like, hero whoever saved this person or this dog is even more <laughs> blown up. Uh, so, like, what makes someone a hero? Do they have to save a life? Do they have to stop something bad from happening? What constitutes heroism? Right, so before I said it was trying to do the right thing in difficult circumstances, I think another way to put it would be it's something that requires great bravery because I feel like usually a heroic act is something that requires some form of like effort and like I don't have a better word than bravery really. Okay, I see that. But I mean, and just for the sake of debating it from another side because I honestly don't know the answer to this one. I don't have a lawyer prepared one. I don't think anyone does. But people can do something braver in bravery, like that it takes courage to do that they might think is right, but is like we know it's completely wrong or it's completely against different moral compasses. So I think a hero really depends on your version of moral too. Yeah, that's fair. I mean how we, like, there's people who think white supremacists are right, right? And they're clearly not. Yeah, you're yeah. wrong. If you're listening <laughs> and you're a white supremacist, time to rethink your entire life. With that out of the way. But, like, yes. every, like, we, <laughs> ethics is a weird thing because it's kind of subjective. Like, it shouldn't be, but it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's why I think a lot of stories kind of go towards, like, a moral gray. Because sometimes determining what the right thing mm -hmm. is and the wrong thing is can be very difficult. That's actually something that I noticed. My mom and I were watching Jack Ryan with uh, John Krasinski like a while back. It's based on books. It's it's a pretty good show. The first season's really good, but then we were watching the second season and it dealt with like this corrupt leader in Venezuela. And we're and in like the last few episodes, I am spoiling it. So spoiler uh, alert, listeners, for people please. that also yeah. <laughs> want to watch this show, I've never heard of. <laughs> and we were watching this show, and in the second season, it deals with this corruption event as well. I know I'm recapping, but I need to get back my train <laughs> of thought. So, um, <laughs> they're doing this stuff, and then in like the last two episodes. The guy's like, oh, this guy's so corrupt, he's gotta die. And I'm like, you're an American power meddling in a foreign state. Trying to kill, like, it was very raw, raw, America can do whatever they want. And I was like, but this is, guys, guys, this isn't good. <laughs> and it was just, it was really like, because that's what, I mean, especially people from America, but people want to look for is see someone battling something they think is corrupt in an obvious and straightforward manner. And that's not necessarily what a hero is, because that's very illegal. Nobody go kill a president in a foreign state, please. But uh. Yeah, I think it's hard because it's sort of the, another question we return to quite often. Do the ends justify the means, right? Like, there's a lot of yeah. weird things you can talk about when we come to ethics. Like, Al Capone, mm -hmm. the drug dealer, smuggler, whatever we want to call yeah. him, also, like, funded schools and hospitals and, like, 
made mm-hmm. a lot of kids like loved and supported and gave a lot of infrastructure to people that wouldn't have necessarily had it, but also, you know, brought a lot of violence in and smuggled drugs. Mm-hmm. So uh, alcohol, alcohol, I think mostly, because well, it was during the prohibition. Yes. So it, is that justified? Can he be ethical? Because he did both good things and bad things, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a moral equilibrium? Like you do enough good things and you do enough bad things that they cancel? And I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird with the states too, because the states have started probably, probably more wars than they should have. Like, yeah, I, I'm not an expert by any means, but like. <laughs> The war in the Middle East? Vietnam War is the one where I'm kind of like, you should not have been there. But that might also not be the one you're talking about. Well, yeah, I'm not... I mean, the Vietnam War also. Like, almost any war where the states have started just (laughs) meddling in foreign affairs has kind Mm -hmm. of had a lot of negative impacts and not been that good for anyone. But, uh, you know, I digress a little bit. Because the war in the Middle East, I forget which country exactly, it was mostly about oil and... The U.S. politicians that were pushing it essentially ran a campaign and people eventually kind of like fell into line and so they had this massive war and it was ultimately, there's a really good video about it, I don't remember the title, I will link it in the (laughs) description, but it was all about oil and then following that war they did a really bad job with the infrastructure and they essentially radicalized people and then were also in some sort of twisted way sort of responsible for what happened for in 9-11 not to sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist where Mm -hmm. they planned it like they didn't do that but yeah you essentially started a war because you wanted to get rich in a certain country like blew up all the infrastructure in that country essentially people started seeing oh these people are evil they came in they destroyed our homeland they kind of just did whatever they want and so Mm -hmm. it's easy to become radicalized not to say that those people are right but like that war like was that moral almost definitely not Mm. and i feel like not just America. I feel like a lot of, like, North America in general sees, like, a lot of the Middle East as, like, scary or that sort of thing. And that's stupid because we are the problem. <laughs> like, 90% yeah. of the time. I don't know if that's actually how people perceive it or if that's the stereotype we get through the media, though. Oh, true. That's a very, that's a very uh, solid point. And then... Also on this topic, sort of, like, the Canadian Peacekeepers Corps, like, are they moral? Is it moral to send our team in to stop the fighting? Because it's, like, the line between peacekeepers and peace enforcers, and do we really have that? Anyway, we should probably move on. This has been a long, longer than I thought it would be. <laughs> Before we move on, if you want to think about war and ethics more, you should definitely read or listen to The Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. It's very excellent. It started as an audiobook, so absolutely I would recommend listening to it instead of reading it. It's so good. It talks about like how bombing has worked throughout the years. It looks specifically at World War II and sort of follows all the bombing, like the night raids in Britain, the major players, and then ends with like, you know, the nukes and all the other bombs that happen in Japan. And it explores ethics in a really, really beautiful way, and I would totally recommend it. It's so good. I cannot say enough good things. Malcolm Gladwell is a genius. Okay, so for topical topic, I mean, a couple things happened, but the funniest of them, I thought, (laughs) that I saw is a Belgian farmer accidentally moved the French border. What? (laughs) Yeah! So there's the stone that marked the border, and there's a bunch of them throughout the France-Belgium border, Apparently, because the country's old, 
You know how Europe is. Mm -hmm. But a farmer just moved it because it was in the way of his tractor's path, so he just moved it, like, seven feet (laughs) to the (laughs) side. But it just meant he moved the border for France and made France smaller. (laughs) Is that technically, like, an invasion? A mini-invasion? Yeah, like, it technically could have been a problem, but people mostly just found it funny. And the reason they found out is a local history enthusiast was walking through the forest and noticed it had moved, which, to be that guy, to be like, I noticed this very important stone has moved seven feet. Like, if a stone moves seven feet, I feel like I would never notice. Or I would notice and be like, but it was probably just there and I've remembering wrong. Okay, so I just looked into it, and Angela Merkel did not remake the Hamilton parody of her, which is very sad, and also no actual hive minds arrived. Of course, bees and ants have the shared collective intelligence, whatever, but it's not an actual hive mind, so it's irrelevant. Mm. What's your future forecast for this week, Ellie? (laughs) I'm going a little more realistic. Uh, I think... (laughs) (laughs) What? You mean last week wasn't realistic? I think Taylor Swift is going to announce her next re-record album next Thursday. And I think it's going to be 1989. Well, that's not very funny. I know. Okay, well, I can come up with something else. I think that a plane is going to accidentally drop its entire shipment of ceramic angels on Germany. And they're going to take it as an act of war. So niche! (laughs) Okay. Polar opposite predictions today. Yeah, you know, something that's very likely to happen and something that (laughs) might never happen. It would be so funny. Anyway, I mean, also bad because war and angels falling from the sky, but also hilarious. I think that there will be a boom in the population of fish. Okay. In the lakes of Canada, that's significant enough to raise the water level. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, you know, who knows? Could happen. I I don't know about that. I feel like it's not ever going to happen. In the next week, though, they would have have to already lay all the eggs and those eggs to be hatching. And there'd have to be so many. And they'd have to grow very fast for it to all happen by (laughs) next week. Or technically I've got two weeks, so. I mean, what do we call, like, a significant raise in water level? Like, if it raises less than an inch, are we counting it? If there's an article, I feel like we count it. (laughs) Speaking of animals... I found out where the term a bug in the system comes from. I, okay, I've never heard that phrase before. Really? Like, something so, goes wrong and you're like, oh, there's a bug in the system. Like, there's something wrong. I've heard it in relation to coding. Yeah, well, same thing. Just in uh, okay. technology in general, it, it's a more broadly used term than just in coding, but it is also Is it because the original thing was a bug literally messed up a system? Yes, a moth. It got into their <laughs> Mark two and... It, like, messed up everything, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong, so they opened it up, and there was a moth, and, uh, (laughs) they, but I find it really funny that, I guess it's not really different than those people who, like, pin up butterflies for museums and stuff, but they took this bug, and they taped it into their logbook for, like, how things were going, (laughs) because they're like, this thing messed up everything we were trying to do, and we are bitter about it. 
epic. Yeah. Also, speaking of animals, do you know what the phrase carcinization is about? No. Okay, I, you're not expected to, no worries. <laughs> uh, the quote about it is carcinid. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to say. Carcinization is one of the many attempts of nature to evolve a crab. One of many attempts? That implies that it was not successful. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It does not imply it was not successful. It implies it's done it more than once. True. It also does that. It implies that it's attempted more than once. I feel like every time I hear the word attempt, I assume it didn't work. Anyway, please carry on. (laughs) Succeeded, I guess. Is like, because if you didn't succeed, you have to say attempt. But if you did succeed, why would you say attempt? Yeah. If you're climbing Mount Everest and you're like, I got to the top, you wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm attempting to climb Mount Everest. You'd be like, I climbed Mount Everest. Or I attempted it. Yeah. You say, hey. Anyways, language aside, uh, carcinization is basically the word for something evolving into a crab, which feels really niche. <laughs> Until you find out that crab-like creatures have evolved five separate times. From what to what? Like, what were the stages? Yeah, so it does only involve uh, crustaceans. So basically, this is the best explanation I've seen of it. The bodies of crustaceans kind of bobble between the two options for body plans. You have the hot dog, which is like a lobster. And you have the hamburger, which is more like a crab. And so the hot dog body plan is great because you got your tail. I don't know if you've ever seen a lobster, but you can, like, pinch it in. So you can be a little faster, but you're not very maneuverable and you're not very dexterous. Now the hamburger body plan, or crabs, for those of you keeping up, is super dexterous. And you don't have a tail, so you're a little slower, but because your legs are sort of, like, evenly spaced and kind of spidery, you can move fast enough kind of on land, on a surface, so you can make up They are it. really fast on land. Yeah. So basically, like, both are kind of, like, whatever, but the overall trend has been that everything kind of goes towards crabs. Okay. The hamburger plan. So crustaceans tend to, over time, gradually drift into a crab shape, even if they aren't actually So then why do we still have, like, the typical lobsters? They're just not evolved yet? I mean, it's like, no, it's like specialization. It said they vary, right? It's just they're more often our crabs. And like we said, there's definitely upsides to both. Being able to be super fast, like, away, helpful. But... It's kind of funny just the idea that things gra- like gradually move towards crab. And the internet got hold of it and people were thinking that it meant that anything eventually goes <laughs> towards a crab. Which is much funnier. The idea that humans will eventually evolve to our true form, the crab. All things lead to crab. <laughs> exactly. All signs point to crab. Awesome. I mean, we do the crab walk as children. Maybe it's like... We have to use up that <laughs> part of our, our instinct and our, our um, base, base, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Base biology, and we have to, like, get that base out of the biology. way. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be base instinct, but I already used that word, so I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. <sighs> Everything's eventually going to be yeah. a crab. 
It is not true. Just a reminder. <laughs> we went over what it actually was. I am. Um, That's just the joke. I've seen crabs, like, when our family used to go to Florida, because, you know, we're white people, and all white people end up in Florida <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I gotta say uh but i've only ever seen lobster in those tanks at like the supermarket where they just had them alive in the really small tanks and i remember being mesmerized by that as a child no watching aquariums and like i remember watching like lobsters and crabs and tanks and it's very fun even not as a kid i'm like oh i'm gonna go stare at the lobsters a little bit mm-hmm. It's it's slightly undercut now by the fact that I know people are there to buy and eat them, but yes. I would be more on board with it if they tasted better. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. We're probably the same person. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>